nearly three out of four workers say that inflation is outpacing how much they make. I want to show you these results here and compare this 71 percent in July to just a few months prior. Uh, 58 percent had that same response in February. And this is really driving inflation, of course, which still is hovering around 40 year highs at 8.3 percent, according to the last reading for U.S. consumer inflation. This is driving more people to tap into their savings. So a 21 percent of respondents said that they had to tap into emergency savings about the same said they had to work extra hours just to keep up with inflation about the same say they're actually just looking for a higher paying job and how about that six percent having to resort to a 401k hardship withdrawal wow. so uh, this is the pain you know we talk about the pain of rising borrowing costs in terms mm -hmm. of uh, what the fed is doing but this is also the pain of inflation and that's what the fed is trying to uh, make better ultimately right. with these higher costs but people are really suffering out there that's a good way to put it. And, you know, that's just not anybody saying it. That's CNN. Everybody gets that the inflation is the story. The inflation is the mover for the elections. Even Jen Psaki. The, the election has moved on, on the economy. That's why people are showing up. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number, 833-468-8669. This is what moves people. In the state of Maine, the governor is okay with referring to MAGA, Make America Great Again, as a form of covert racism, a video that exists on the state education department uh, site. So it's a government form, or I should say it's a government video, saying, uh, uh, hey, uh, uh, the, the, those Republicans, um, they're, uh, they're, they're all racists. They're all engaged in racism. That's a, that's a heck of a thing to be concerned about when people are digging into their 401ks, when people are looking for other jobs, when people are looking to get back to work just to make sure they can keep up with this inflation pace. But it's very hard to uh, explain to people who don't want to know anything. It's very hard to explain to them what matters. It is this incredible disconnect between their ideology and their reality. Because the reality is, why in the world would you say somebody who disagrees with you on politics is a racist? Their ideology says anybody who disagrees with us on politics is a racist. So they aren't interested in rational thought, rational minds, rational conversations. They're interested in screaming bigot. This is their desire. Why should they have to talk about anything? As I was discussing about Joy Behar, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, and what's going on in Iran, the reason Behar and Ocasio-Cortez have to compare a woman being beaten to death by the morality police with abortion laws and restrictions in the United States is because, well, look, we're all being oppressed. Because ideologically, anybody who disagrees with you is oppressing you if you're part of the political left. But the rational mind, which is independents and moderates and free-thinking people, uh, they say, whoa, 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 there's a great difference between the legislative process to uh, restrictions on abortion 
and five guys getting out of their truck and beating a woman into a coma because she wasn't wearing her head covering perfectly. And that difference is the difference between a horrific Sharia-esque culture and the United States. And one of those is de facto, if not just by sheer definition, by basic definition, better than the other. But that's not what Joy Behar or Representative Ocasio-Cortez can say, because if they say that, then they have to admit that where they live is pretty dang good. They just have a disagreement. Now, here's why. That involves thought. That involves uh, deep, deep understanding. That involves being able to express oneself. Why should you have to go through all of that? When you can just claim that someone's oppressing you or someone who disagrees with you is a bigot. The state of Maine, Democratic Governor Janet Mills, why should she have to talk about differences in policy and philosophy when she could just say anybody who disagrees with me is engaged in covert racism? This module from the Maine Department of Education, the program is called Maine Online Opportunities for Sustained Education, or Moose. That's right, Moose. MAGA, according to them, according to this module, is an example of, and I'm quoting here, covert racism and white supremacy. Other examples of alleged covert racist ideas, this according to the Daily Caller, include, quote, education funding from property taxes, Columbus Day, anti-immigration policies, not challenging racist jokes, all lives matter, racist Halloween costumes, assuming good intentions are enough, and more. This is covert racism, and that gets compared and contrasted with overt racism and white supremacy, which is lynching, wearing blackface, and using racial slurs, which then outs, of course, the former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, uh, talk show host Jimmy Kimmel, and the prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Oh, no, wait, hold on. This, this just in. They're all good. They're all but they were wearing blackface, all of them. They're... They're liberals, and so therefore it's okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, um, uh, back, back to you. Good Lord. Good Lord. You know what's covert racism and white supremacy? According to the website, calling the police on black people. Oh, and white silence. So if I say something like, hey, there's a group of people breaking into my house, that's racism. But if I say nothing, that's also racism. Huh. You see how difficult this becomes. Oh, uh, by, by, by the way, it is Columbus Day. And also, it's not President's Day. It's Lincoln's birthday and Washington's birthday. That's what we celebrate. We don't celebrate the birthday of James Knox Polk or Woodrow Wilson or Barack Obama or Joe Biden. I'm also not celebrating Trump's birthday. Not interested. Thank you. Good night. Stop combining the stuff. Celebrate Washington's birthday. Celebrate Lincoln's birthday. I don't know if you necessarily need to take the day off, although I wouldn't mind it but we celebrate what we celebrate.
Look at all the things that cover covert racism and white supremacy. That's, that, that is, that is, oh, if you talk about, you know, getting yourself up or, or bringing yourself up uh, by your bootstraps, that's also bigoted. Okay. Expecting black indigenous people of color to teach white people about racism. Oh, oh, I agree with that one uh, because it turns out uh, they can't. Who wants a fight? I could tell you exactly where I was when I heard this for the first time and realized I had seen something and didn't know what it was. I can tell you about the lunch. It was a dinner, actually, that I was at. And I, for whatever reason, wasn't a real participant in the conversation, which is, if you know me, a, a touch unlike me. But I kind of enjoy that a little bit more. I may, maybe, you know, I, and it, it, I, it's true. I've, I've done less talking in, in my out-of-radio life than, than ever before. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I'm listening to this conversation. It's a black woman. It's a white man. I'm listening to this conversation about race and racism and bigotry and critical race and, and white privilege. And I'm listening. And at one, there's one moment where this, this black woman talks about how she's willing to teach this or that or the other. And at the moment, it just hit in the back of my head. Like, like Malcolm Gladwell, blink. I knew something wasn't right and I didn't know what it was. Right into the back of my head. It wouldn't go away. It would not go away. What was it about that very statement that, that, that was wrong? I'm willing to teach people, but there's something wrong about that. There was something, there's something not, it, it, it simply cannot be correct. It doesn't come together. It doesn't connect. What is wrong with that? And it hit me. I don't remember if it was a week later or a month later, but it hit me of, oh, wait a second. What? is the criteria for teaching. What is the expertise involved for her being able to teach me about race or racism? Let's let's turn the conversation around, I said to myself. What would be the expertise that I have to teach somebody else about anti-Semitism? Because if the argument is, well, you're Jewish, that might mean I have experienced it but it's not necessarily a precursor to be able to engage in education about it. What education do I have that could allow me to actually teach someone about the subject? And is that education a value? I've experienced things, I know things, and maybe based on the religion, I have experiences that other people don't have. So, so I could share an experience. I can do that. Doesn't make me an expert. And that's when I said, that's right. And it doesn't make a woman who's black an expert in racism. Because, well, that would be insane. An expertise comes from a study. It doesn't come from an existence. Experiences come from an existence. An expertise is a whole different ballgame. Why would I trust you to teach me about racism under, under what pretense do you have the education that you could share it? Your experiences you could share because that's what conversation is. 
And I said, son of a gun. You see so many people who will say to someone who's black or someone who's brown or someone who's Hispanic, well, tell me, explain it to me. Because they are actually, by the way, curious. They actually do want to hear these conversations. They actually do want to be part of these things. And and they've been denied because the the act of asking, that's the covert racism. You're not allowed to ask, but if you don't ask, you're also a bigot. So either way, you're a bigot. Man, they got you coming and going. Look how easy it is for them. They, uh, who are of an ideological set, can pass judgment upon you based on what you have or have not done or will or will not do. Whether it is in the past, present, or the future. Jeepers. But I reject the idea that because somebody is of a skin color that gives them a knowledge, can you imagine, and this is going to cut to the bone real quick, can you imagine someone saying, because of the color of my skin, I am by definition smarter than others of a different skin color, therefore I have to educate them? My gosh, what next? Are you going to save the Native Americans from themselves? You're going to save their souls? If you make the statement that because you are black, you can educate people who are white because you know better, that has a connotation to a time in America not so pretty and a group of people who used to put sheets on their heads who, by the way, wanted me dead too. That is exactly the connotation. Man, when you get your head around that, you realize, holy cow. And then, if you want the real mind scramble, recognize that, of course, racism exists, and of course, bigotry exists, and of course, there are things that have happened in American history that are disgusting and awful and despicable and wrong, and we should say so. Whether that's slavery or whether that's redlining. Which is a fundamentally different conversation than the idea of somebody else is therefore a a, a bigot because of something that happened long before their time and they never signed off on. When you start digging, it gets amazing. It gets amazing. This is the state of Maine thinking they're educating their students. And this is why you should homeschool. But before you go direct to homeschooling, may I suggest you fire everybody in the school. Run for school board. Start throwing people out. Teachers who are engaged in this stuff, start throwing them out. Administrators who engage in this stuff, start throwing them out. Governors who engage in this stuff, start throwing them out. And the senators, uh, the state senators, the state representatives, start throwing them out. The mayors and the town councilors, start throwing them out. Now, if that doesn't work, well, then uh, go to homeschooling. Yeah. My gosh. And then don't stop fighting. Don't ever. Don't ever. Let let these people be in charge of education? Utilizing the same mathematics. What actual education do they have that makes them think they can be in charge? And then you realize just how valueless their education is. And realize you want better for your kid. I'm Tony Katz.
So it seems that this uh, this Hurricane Ian, which I don't think it's going to get over the Category 4, but still, I mean, 155-mile-an-hour winds, um, this is going to hit in the afternoon. This is going to hit earlier than uh, than they assumed. But what's the, the, the problem, at least as I'm looking at uh, the, the, the map, I'm looking at the track, They've got this thing hitting just north of Fort Myers, which means Fort Myers is going to get the strong side of the storm. And that's going to hit, they say, really in, in, in the next hour or so, really hit the coast. And by the time it gets to basically mid-state, near, near Orlando, maybe not on Orlando, it's going to be a Cat 1, and that's by Thursday at like 2, 3 a.m. Then it's going to be near, I would say closer to south of St. Augustine, Thursday at 2 p.m. That's a full 24 hours of rain over Florida. That's that's the issue. That's the flooding. That's going to be, that could be the really bad stuff. Sure, you've got storm surge and you've got the, the, the immediate hits. It's the flooding, the, the the property damage that comes from that. That's the thing to look out for. Also, uh, a Chinese national uh, has been convicted of espionage after applying to the U.S. Army Reserves. Um, he was a citizen, Chinese citizen residing in Chicago, a deputy division director within the Ministry of State Security. Made false statements to the U.S. Army. Guilty of conspiracy to act as an agent of a foreign government. It's not enough to throw this guy in jail. Not enough. You got to take $100 million off the debt we owe China. They have to learn. You cannot treat the American people like this. There will be ramifications. There must be ramifications. There's a whole thing Biden did about food insecurity I want to get into, and then I'll share with you uh, the gaff of gaffs when he asked around, hey, where's Jackie Walorski, who passed away last month, the congresswoman? Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. I got to tell you, anytime I see the White House talking about hunger and nutrition, I get a, a little queasy. Because I've seen how they engage these things in the past. And you have too. Even though you might not necessarily be cognizant of it or or you wouldn't be able to necessarily relay it all right now. If we started going down the road of where the federal government has been on the conversation of hunger, nutrition, and health, we would find some pretty awful things done by the government. But there's Joe Biden having a, th- this conversation. Uh, Tom Vilsack, that, that's the Secretary of Agriculture, right? That's that's Tom Vilsack's job. He's uh, talking about this too, and and, and I got to tell you, every time I hear it, I get a little kind of freaked out by their arguments. Made significant progress towards reducing food insecurity. Today, maybe that's one of the reasons why. I, literally, that was just me popping into Tom Vilsack right there, the Secretary of Agriculture, and be like, nope. I'm out. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.Locals.com. TonyKatz.Locals.com. My issue 
with the very concept of things like food insecurity is that food insecurity does not actually address how the issues with food exist. So there's a group called Feeding America, feedingamerica.org. I don't know anything about the organization. I don't know their politics. I'm just utilizing it as a, as a way of providing a definition and, and how I in, engage this. And I want to hear what, what Joe Biden has to say about it. Food insecurity is defined as a lack of consistent access to enough food for every person in a household to live an active, healthy lifestyle. This can be a temporary situation for a household or can last a long time. Food insecurity is one way we can measure how many people cannot afford food. The whole concept of food insecurity is part of this change in, in language that somehow there is a need for the for America to provide food security. Food insecurity takes away a level of responsibility. This is far different than helping those in need. I'm having two very different conversations here because you will never have me in a place where I don't believe that we as citizens, as people, shouldn't be helping those who cannot help themselves. Those who are having a bad time, I believe in helping. I want to help. I have no issue with helping at all. Remember, I'm the guy who during COVID created a rye whiskey to help hospitality workers because they were out of jobs. You were told, sorry, restaurant, you can't be in business. You can't have any sit-down customers. So I created a, a, a rye whiskey called Recovery Rye. What would we get? Thirty thousand dollars, something near that, to um, to to one of the restaurant associations, right here, uh, the Restaurant Lodging Association, the Indiana Restaurant Lodging Association, so they could provide grants to hospitality workers in need. You will you will never see me saying no to that, but you will always see me engaging it on the private charity side. No government entity was uh, utilized other than whatever we needed to do to get the label done uh, in, in order to, to make this happen. We just made it happen. Food insecurity, when, when, when addressed by, by the country, when addressed by the government, means government programs. And government programs are not the answer. My issue with government programs are that when they say we're here to help, we're here to take care of the job, you now create dependency. This is far different than charity. And I do believe that there need to be certain guidelines that charities uh, use. Uh, one, one of the things that, that I, I absolutely abhor when we talk about the homeless, for example, uh, and we'll talk about Indianapolis, right there on the circle, the center of downtown Indianapolis, the heart of Indiana. And there's a massive homeless issue in downtown. And you'll see people feeding people on the streets. That, that, is, that is the wrong thing to do. I believe their heart is in the right place, if you will, if we want to utilize that kind of descriptor. But the problem is, is that you're exacerbating an issue as opposed to having the issue removed from the streets and then heading to places where actual help can be given. 
Remember, you're dealing with mental health issues, you're dealing with drug health, uh, drug use issues, then you're dealing with people down on their luck. The easiest one to tackle, I mean, and I say easy, certainly comparative to the other two is what I'm saying, is people down on their luck and helping them turn things around. Drug use and, and, and mental issues, man, whoo, this is difficult stuff. This does not get corrected in a day. But it does the city or municipality no good to bring food to people where they are. The very least, you have to have a way of removing them, extricating them from the situation. So therefore, A, not uh, in, in a direct effect to a downtown. And then B, you have the resources in that area to be able to then provide help to the best of your ability, not saying that they'll take advantage of it. And if you say to me, so you don't want to feed people downtown so people don't see the people. Well, yes, that's exactly right. But you forgot the other parts of my argument, which is also exactly right. Where the resources are and the opportunities are to maybe help people who are actually in favor of getting helped. But no city is done well by having a, a, a mass of homeless people in their, in their downtown. And then there have been conversations, and this one's fascinating, about donations to food banks. Well, you know, no, 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 you can't donate that. I mean, I can't donate that. Well, you know, from, from a restaurant or this or that, we have to approve it. You can't just give here. You got to go through certain approved uh, kind, of, kind of lanes. I'm like, that's a lot of government bureaucracy. And there are, there are back and forth to that conversation about a, a sense of protection about what is then being uh, given to people who are in need of food. You, you, you want to know what that, that food is. And, and there is an extent to which I can accept that. But the most important reason that the food insecurity conversation bothers me is look at what Feeding America says in part two. Unfortunately, many people in America struggle to meet their basic needs, which increase their risk of food insecurity. Layoffs, unexpected car maintenance, accident on the job. The causes of food insecurity are complex, and some of those causes are poverty, unemployment, or low income, lack of affordable housing, chronic health conditions, or lack of access to health care, systemic racism, and racial discrimination. So we're not talking about food insecurity. We're talking about leftist politics at play. We're talking about progressive politics at play. I thought we were talking about feeding people. When myself and, and, and the two people I created a recovery rye with, we didn't ask ourselves now, who is this going to go to and what are their politics? We said, who's in need? Let's help those people to the best of our ability. And so we did it this way. Yeah, we did it with a little bit of fun. Why not? Something people could get behind and get involved in. Happy to do it. Proud to do it. And for like, you know what? I'm, I'm supporting the business. I'm supporting this. This is good. Systemic racism and racial discrimination. So food insecurity is no longer about people being hungry. It is about a movement. This often then leads into the conversation of something called food deserts. And I have serious, serious issue about the idea of food deserts. The concept of, of a food desert is that you have an area that doesn't have supermarkets. You have an area that doesn't have grocery stores. Food deserts are communities that have poor access to healthy, affordable foods. That according to healthline.com. 
Well, yes, indeed, one can argue that there are areas that don't have supermarkets. But in a world of immediate transportation, Uber and Lyft, I don't quite know how anybody lives in a food desert. You mean if there is not a supermarket in walking distance, that's a a food desert? That is the hardship? Well, I don't know how that is possible in a world where food is delivered to your doorstep with products and apps like Instacart. Yet still, we hear this conversation of food deserts because people are having a hard time getting fruits, vegetables, whole grains, dairy, peas, beans. In today's world, none of this is true. It's not true. Are there people who go hungry? Absolutely. Are there areas, places where there aren't enough supermarkets? I would say yes. Do we ever ask ourselves why? Do we ever ask ourselves about the bodega owner who's been robbed four times and then says, you know what, forget this, I'm out. Oh, I'm sorry, bodega a little too on the nose? The supermarket. How about the local CVS that keeps getting itself robbed day in and day out, week in and week out? What about those places? How long are they supposed to stay open? What if they can't stay open the hours that would be good for people in a certain community? The problem with these topics, food insecurity and food deserts, is that it does not go and people do not dig deeper into what it all means. They don't. And they desperately, desperately need to. Because if we're going to talk about hunger, then we cannot be talking about politics. Hunger is hunger. And it is black and it is white and it is gay and it is straight and it is Jewish and Christian and Muslim. It is hunger. Are we as a society interested in feeding people who are hungry? I say yes, let us go do it. And I believe charity can do it, not government. If you want to know why there are not supermarkets in certain places, there could be a multiplicity of reasons, and none of them have to do with bigotry. They have to do with reality. The reality also states that we have enough technology to allow us not to need the physical location around the corner. So when government gets involved, man, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I also I also don't trust people who want to tell me about food and are the same people who gave me the food pyramid. Like I really need that much carbohydrates in my life. I do not. Carbohydrates and the sugars make you fat and engage inflammation. Please, do I get to sue the government for giving me this food pyramid nonsense? You know, I would take the time to share with you what Joe Biden said about uh, food, but uh, honestly, I, I, I don't think any of us need it. Those are clips I'll, I'll share in the future. But I think that there's, uh, the, the bigger story here is that what is the proper role of government? That's the conversation. That's the question. That's the thing that needs to be addressed. And, I, and I'm exhausted by the people who say that government's job is to do all the things. Their job is not to do all the things. 
That's the problem. They're doing too many things. They need to do less things. Article 1, Section 8, and then maybe just settle on down. But, oh, well, we, we, have, we have hunger. The government has to solve this. What do you mean government has to solve this? How does government solve this? How in the world does that happen? Why is the reliance on government and not on private charity? The reliance, the, 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 the place that should be addressing this is indeed private charity, not government. Government cannot solve hunger through a program. All they can do is spend money on programs and then the answer is, well, we need to spend more money. It, it's like trying to do away with racism or bigotry or anti-Semitism. It's not gonna happen. Why are we kidding ourselves? There is no government program, no bit of legislation that gets rid of hate. People hate each other for all sorts of reasons and no government program can stop it. It's not going to stop. That's all there is to it. That is the beginning and the end. That is the alpha and the omega. That is the truest words ever spoken. Government can't solve everything. Stop looking to them like somehow they're supposed to. And government would be damn well to say, hey, whoa, we can't fix this. It's not what we do. But then, of course, there's some uh, opportunist politician who's like, well, we could do it if we just do this and just vote for that and vote for me and we'll spend here. And then people are like, yeah, they'll fix everything. Yay. They don't fix everything. They can't fix everything. It's a lie. And we're through the looking glass. And one, one, when I hear about these things, about food insecurity and food deserts, I've seen how they've lied. I have seen how government has not told the truth. I have seen how the conversations, I'm so old, I remember the eggs were bad for you. No way eggs are good for you. No way eggs might be bad for you. Coffee is bad for you. No way coffee is good for you. No way we don't even know what coffee is. I want to... I don't want to hear from government this, that, or the other. I've got me. I've got the ability to research. I've got, I've got my doctor. I'll figure it out, thank you very much. I'll figure it out. I don't want government to solve a problem because they can't. They cannot solve the problem. They certainly can't solve the problem if they're focused on ideology and not the problem, if they're focused on politics and not the problem, and if they won't discuss things down to their core. They can't do it. I'm Tony Katz. And of course, the COVID vaccine is now in the breast milk. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that was that not a way to was that not a way to bring the story to you? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on? Good to be with you. Uh, there is now the reporting that detection of messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccines in human breast milk. This, of course, creates a unique series of questions, including, well, how does this affect my infant child? The U.S. Food and Drug Administration deferred the decision to authorize COVID-19 mRNA vaccines for infants younger than six months until more data is available because of the potential priming of the children's immune responses that may alter their immunity. The CDC and Prevention recommends offering COVID-19 vaccines to breastfeeding individuals, although the possible passage of vaccine mRNA in breast milk resulting in infants' exposure at younger than six months was not investigated. 
It didn't have to be investigated. There were plenty of people who were like, I'm going to have a baby. I don't want to have a vaccine. I don't want to bring it to my kid. I don't know what's going to do to me. I don't know what's going to do to the kid. Let's not do this. And they got yelled at. Oh, it's totally safe. Oh my gosh, how dare you? There are a lot of people who had a lot to sacrifice by taking a vaccine they weren't sure about. And some of them got forced to do it by despicable employers who should never think that they're good people by forcing vaccines onto their employees. Never mind people who got pressured into it. And now we're going to find out what may come from this. It could, by the way, be nothing. But it is worth noting that we're seeing the reporting of it happen. It's not black or white when it comes to the vaccine. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.